Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk, and joining me as always is my co-host Nolan Bicknell. On today's show, RC360's Stacey Cardigan-Smith joins us in studio to tell us about her experience with the CEDA Pathways to Education program here in Winnipeg. She'll tell us about a young man whose life was completely changed thanks to the program. Then we'll speak with author David Alexander Robertson. He'll join us to talk about the writing process for his novel, The Evolution of Alice, which is this year's On the Same Page selection. Then we'll hear from Kayla Dickin of the Athena Leadership. She'll tell us about her organization and their philanthropic initiatives right here in Winnipeg. And finally, we'll hear the latest in citizen journalism from Noah Ehrenberg, the convener of Community News Commons. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. We are in March. It has come in like a lion and hopefully it will go out like a lamb. That's what I'm hoping as well. Um, <laughs> well, I think we're all hoping it here in Winnipeg because we we deserve spring, I think, now. We've lived through enough winter that it's just time to have a nice warm... We should open up the patios, enjoy a nice beverage on the beautiful Winni- Winnipeg summertime, and, you know, I'm, I'm just done with seeing white everywhere. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not really a fan of the whole post-winter season that we get where right. everything looks all the slush muddy and, the, and, yeah. and the goop yeah that's true however i'm willing to live through that if it means some wonderful patio season here in winnipeg agreed so it's about time we go through that how was your week robert that was good how was yours not too bad i'm really enjoying i'm really enjoying things this week it, we, we talked to a lot of very interesting people and i'm really excited for this week's show um our, our first story uh stacy cardigan smith is on her way into the studio she's going to tell us about a young man who's I mean, he's, his life has basically changed from he, he became a confident mentor in, in Winnipeg here from being sort of a shy, quiet outsider. Um, and it's all thanks to a local program right here in Winnipeg. Um, but before we get to Stacy, uh, let's go to a song. How about the Beatles with All My Loving right here on River City 360? Close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. Pretend that I'm missing the lips I am missing And hope that my dreams will come true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you All my loving Close your eyes and I'll kiss you
for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we are now joined in studio by Stacy Cardigan-Smith. She's on the communications team at the Winnipeg Foundation and a contributor here at River City 360. Stacy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So I understand you recently spoke with a few people that are connected with the CEDA Pathways to Education program uh, right here in Winnipeg, and one man in particular really stood out to you. Tell, tell me about that a little bit. I did. Um, so his name is Cody Prescott, and he's uh, one of the students involved at CEDA Pathways. Um, Cody is 17 years old, and he's in grade 12, and he's been with CEDA Pathways since grade 9. So what is the C- what is CEDA? Stand for again? So sure. So CETA is the Community Education Development Association, and they run the Pathways program, and that helps students uh, starting in as early as grade seven with their homework, nutrition, uh, with financial aid, and with uh, tutoring. So Cody has come up through the program, and he's now a tutor himself. Uh, he was initially shy and reserved, but CETA really helped him come out of his uh, come out of his shell. So um, here's Cody to tell you a little bit about that. When I was in grade nine, I was like very awkward. So like mentoring, because in mentoring, like everyone meets in a sharing circle and they go and talk, like they go and introduce each other saying like, hey, I'm Cody Prescott and this was my day or so. I found that really like, I don't know, I was nervous about that. So when I heard about that in the orientation meeting, I was like really nervous about that. I used to wear my hoodie all the time. Like I always like wore it up here and like never really talked to anyone. Over the course of mentoring, they like played a lot of games, which I had fun with, and I was like slowly open up to that. But the thing that really did change me was called Shakespeare in the Ruins. So um, obviously acting in front of people and being on stage isn't the easiest thing in the world, yeah. especially for a self-described shy kid. Uh, but eventually Cody, uh, he found um, a real confidence. I was embarrassed and I was unsure, but I tried it anyways. And yeah, I remember like we used to do like these little activities where you go up in front and you have to like... Oh yeah, we went in a circle, then in the middle, we, like, some guy had to, like, do something, like, say, like, painting a fence, and you had to go up to him and tell them, like, hey, what are you doing? Then you have to, like, go and, like, pretend to pl- painting a fence as well. I didn't really care about it, like, other, what other people thought of me at that moment, so. And that's changed everything for you. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. He sounds uh, like a really great kid that seems to be on the right path, thanks in part by uh, CETA and the Pathways program. He is, absolutely. Um, As I mentioned, after going through the program, he became uh, one of the peer helpers and mentors. Uh, I asked him about being on the peer helper group and uh, what he gets out out of giving back through the program. Soon I'm going to get that training and Mm -hmm. and I get a paycheck Mm -hmm. and I get like... And I get to like teach other people, so I get to help. So like working with other people, like I feel like that's improving that. Uh, and I guess like speaking with other people like confidently. So Cody, he really is quite an inspirational guy, and you can hear how the uh, CETA Pathways program have really uh, benefited. The program has really benefited him, yeah, which is you, great to see. When you came back after your interview, you said, "Oh, I met the, this really cool guy. That's such a great story. I can't wait to tell." It. And and when I was listening to the interview, it was very true. Like he was pretty cool, pretty cool sounding guy, very inspirational story. Um, but aside from the drama and the acting and, and, and the uh, Shakespeare in the ruins that he did, what else does CETA offer to some of the kids? 
Um, so there are a multitude of programs in place for the hundreds of students here in Winnipeg in, in multiple schools. There are 259 students in grades 9 to 12 okay. and 51 students in grades 7 and 8 that are able to participate in programs. So as I mentioned, those include nutritional programs, mentorship, homework support, summer school programs, and other resources that students find um, super helpful to get them through to graduation. What are, what are some of the other resources, like financial? Yeah. Or? Uh, financial is a big one. Um, so if, if, a, if a student comes for the whole month, they get uh, monthly support to purchase bus passes or other school supplies. Okay. And that is a huge help for the families. So it really gets the parents involved. And actually, Cody mentioned one of the reasons he got involved in the first place, because his mother said, you know what, like, let's let's check this out. Let's see it. Um, and and right. those financial incentives were a big part of that. Um, but then, of course, once they actually start going, they see the benefits right. of all those uh, all those other programs as well, the tutoring, the summer school, all that. And also another great part is that for every year they complete the program, students uh, are awarded a $1,000 scholarship. See, I thought that was that's $1,000 a year starting in grade nine. So potentially four grand that can go towards their post-secondary. Yeah, that's huge. It is. It is. It's a, it's a lot of money. It's great. Um, so Darlene Klein, I also got a chance to talk with her and she's the program director for the CETA Pathways to Education program. So she kind of talked to me a little bit about the process behind CETA Pathways and why it works. Specifically, I asked her about the nutrition component. I'm always interested and passionate about nutrition and, and the importance with, you were involved of eating with, well. Uh, sorry to interrupt. You, you were involved with the Nourishing Potential Program, which we've covered extensively on RC360. And was that part of it? I think they had a grant last year from Nourishing Potential? I believe they've been grant a grant recipient okay. through gr- Nourishing Potential as well. Um, but this, this, uh, I mean, the, the nutrition component, um, they've been supported through through Nourishing Potential and through other foundation okay. grants as well. But um, so Darlene, I'm gonna, we're going to play a clip of Darlene just talking about the importance of giving, getting that healthy meal for kids. Okay, well, nutrition, it was just a given. I mean, that's not even identifying a need. That's just knowing there is a need. I mean, I've worked in the North End for a fairly long time in a community development. And, you know, I knew that uh, you don't do anything without food, especially, you know, when you're working with, with young people. You know, they're coming into your building at 3.30. They may not have eaten all day, and they're going to be hungry. So, you you know, the first thing you do is you've got to feed them so they're prepared to do the work that they need to do. So that was just a given. She also told us about the peer helpers and the student advisory committee that in, um, assists and mentors the younger people coming through the program. Not only do these these uh, peer helpers and mentors, do they get the experience of um, helping the younger people, but they also get a paying job. Um, and that is a huge part of the program. So we've been able to hire uh, up to 12 peer helpers a year. Uh, this year we have nine, and those are grade 11 and 12 students. Last year it even included some alumni who had graduated and uh, you know needed some employment until they were ready to go on to post-secondary or whatever. So they uh, work in various areas of the programs. They have to apply for the position, so they have to create a resume. They have to submit to an interview process and then they're hired for different areas of programming. You know, you, you kind of learn from every year, right? And, and what I was observing and what became really important to me is that the really strong students often got the positions because they were very involved, they're very outspoken and they're very confident in many ways, right? But what about the people who don't 
have a lot to say at this point in their life but still have a lot to give right mm -hmm. so I wanted to open the door for young people who had not worked before to give them that experience to allow them to kind of blossom under that and so they've got some confidence so that confidence um, was evident in Cody and mm -hmm. many of the others who I met that were involved with CETA Pathways uh, it's a great program and it's doing fantastic work in the city so the Winnipeg Foundation has supported CETA Pathways recently or, or how, do, how are they involved with yeah that? I mean you and I were talking a little bit about um, they've received a, a number of different grants through Nourishing Potential through our regular community grants program as well um, but most recently they've received a hundred thousand dollar grant uh, distributed over two years um, that specifically sports supports the uh, Student Advisory Council and nutrition components um, as well as their summer school program which is having just an amazing impact for some of these kids. I'm sure $100,000 can definitely help a lot of kids and, and really set them on, on the right path towards yeah. secondary education or post-secondary education, I guess. Uh, I guess, last question, where can our listeners go to learn a little bit more about CEDA and the Pathways program? Uh, well, CEDA has a website, so it's cedawpg.org. Um, and I'm also writing a more in-depth article about their work, which will come out in the Foundation Spring Magazine, which oh, will be out at the end of this or end of next month. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So look for uh, Stacey's article in the Foundation Spring Magazine coming up. Uh, thank you very much, Stacey Cardigan-Smith, Communications Specialist at the Winnipeg Foundation and contributor here at River City 360. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up after the break, we will speak with author David Alexander Robertson. He's the author of The Evolution of Alice, and he'll tell us about what inspired him to become a writer and about a great event that's coming up this Thursday. Uh, but before we get to that, here is Caramia by 101 Strings right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan with you here. A few weeks ago, we had the chance to sit down with author David Alexander Robertson. He's 
the author of The Evolution of Alice, which is this year's On the Same Page selection. We had a really great conversation about the writing process, what inspired him to become a writer, and we talked about a great event that's coming up this Thursday, March 10th. So here's part two of our interview with David Alexander Robertson. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. How did you get started with writing? Well, I was in grade three when I started writing. My teacher gave us this class assignment to write some poetry. I didn't want to do it at first. I don't know why. And I ended up writing in the closet in the back of the classroom, like in the dark, literally. Um, There's just a bit of light coming in between the door and the floor. And I wrote with my little red pencil and my full scap. And uh, I spent the day in there pretty much. I remember giving my teacher the, the poems I'd written at the end of the day. And I had done a complete 180 on, on writing poetry. I fell in love with it. And I remember going to my mom uh, after school that day and telling her that I wanted to be a writer. Ever since then, that's, that's all I've ever wanted to do. So growing up, uh, I wrote poetry and short stories, and I wrote a couple of pretty crappy novels in university, and, and that led to doing graphic novels, which uh, have done very well, and then and, uh, finally uh, my first novel, which was The Evolution of Alice. It's been a long journey, but I find what I, what I talk to kids often t- to uh, as well is uh, you usually have a good idea of what you love doing when you're pretty young, and to stick with that is really important. And it may take a while, you know. It took me uh, a lot of years before I became published, but it's been a, it's been a good journey. So, as you mentioned, you've written for so many different types of media. You've written graphic novels, poetry, as well as for television. Was the process of writing the evolution of Alice different from the processes of writing those other types of works? I mean, for me, the act of writing itself is the same in, t- in terms of the process I go through and what I need to do to write well. You know, I need usually the dark. <laughs> I need some good music, some mood music. But the, the genre itself, I guess it changes. But I, I, find, I find writing in one area usually uh, helps you get better at another. And so that, that's, why, that's why I dabble in a lot of different kinds of writing because I find like poetry helps me writing prose and screenwriting helps me write dialogue in novels. And so in that way, they kind of, they're all different, but they, they lend um, well to each other. And, and so as I, as I try and uh, do different kinds of writing, I find like I'm building my skill sets as a writer. And that's what I would challenge anybody to do doing anything um, that they want to get better at is to challenge themselves to do different things. And, and you'll find that it helps you to get better at, at the one thing you really want to do. So with The Evolution of Alice, it's a really unique novel because it's really at its heart a collection of stories. Um, it, it started out as a, as a collection of short stories. And as, as going along with my editor, Warren Carew, very early in the process, we, we realized that it was, it was reading like a novel. So even though the stories could be read independently, they were linear. Uh, the, the larger stories were linear. And so we worked at it that way from there on in. It wasn't a novel that I wrote all in one piece and handed it in to my publisher. I actually developed it as we went along with my editor. So the last story for the novel I wrote, you know, maybe a couple of weeks before I went to press. So it was a, it's a, very, it was a very unique process. I find, too, in, in building skills, what I like to do is read in the genre I'm writing. So I had to find books that were particularly like that. And that's, they're, they're difficult to find because it's a, it's a pretty unique book. So novels like Nine Stories from, by J.D. Salinger or In Our Time by Ernest Hemingway and All of Kitteridge by uh, Elizabeth Strout were really helpful because they have these short story collections, essentially, that are all thematically or, or literally linked. So those really helped me in, in I think, becoming... Um, better at that 
one challenge I gave myself to write a book like The Evolution of Alice. Very interesting how that work evolved from, I guess, your initial thought that it would be a novel and then it kind of branched out, but it still kind of has that sequentiality about it. Yeah, it definitely reads like a novel. And I think the short stories ended up becoming chapters. What's really neat about the novel, too, is you have these little, almost like pieces of flash fiction between each chapter that tell either side stories or backstory or thematic stories that are linked to the novel. And so I, I found that really fun to do. So some some stories are just like a paragraph long, some are, are a page long, but um, their uh, writing in flash fiction was, was a challenge too, because you have sometimes a paragraph or two to, to write a complete uh, thought or a complete story. So um, that was that was really interesting to do as well. And it's sometimes through those constraints that you end up with some of your most creative work sometimes. Yeah, there's some really beautiful moments for sure. And I'm, I'm very cl- critical of my own writing. Uh, I think we're all critical of the things that we do. But I, I'm really proud of some some moments in this book that I think really pop and, and really have some amazing poetry in them. What's it been like working with the On the Same Page team? And what are some of the uh, upcoming events that you have related to the book? Yeah, it's been really great to work with... Uh, the Winnipeg Foundation and the Winnipeg Public Library uh, and my publisher on on planning kind of what the events will look like for on the same page and we tried to do some kind of unique things for it. A couple of really I think interesting events for maybe I guess like emerging writers would find them really interesting and I guess anybody who's interested in the writing process itself. An event at McNally Robinson coming up. Um, It's with uh, Warren Carey and it's deconstructing the book so we're going to talk about the whole journey of where came from, how it morphed into what it was, and that whole space in between of um, kind of the headaches of writing it, the kind of the really amazing moments in writing it, and that whole concept of editing and killing your darlings and um, the stuff that we left out and why. And we'll talk a little bit about those, and some of those I think might be surprising for people who've read the novel. Uh, and then we have another event uh, at the Millennium Library, at Carol, the Carol Shields Auditorium. I guess to cap it all off, and we're going to have a past winners event, so uh, Joan Thomas will be there, Kate Verbet, myself, Beatrice Mazonier, and a couple of people from uh, Manitowapow, the Anthology of uh, Indigenous Writing. So uh, that, we're looking forward to having those events. And uh, I think it's just great to keep the book alive and, and the characters because when I finished it, it's kind of this bittersweet feeling because you get to know the characters so well, they feel real to you. And, and when people read it, I guess it's nice to, to know that those characters are living on for other people. And I think that's one of the things uh, that I really love about the book is the characters feel so real and that's what I hear from readers is they identify with them and they really feel like they're kind of getting to know them throughout the novel and and that's to me one of the great things about writing is creating uh, things that feel alive. Thank you to David Alexander Robertson, the author of The Evolution of Alice, which is this year's On the Same Page selection. If you're interested in learning more, there's an event happening this Thursday, March 10th at 7pm, and it's at McNally Robinson Booksellers, uh, called Deconstructing Alice, where, as David mentioned, he and his editor, Warren Carew, will discuss the writing process for The Evolution of Alice. Again, that's Thursday, March 10th, this Thursday, at 7pm at McNally Robinson Booksellers, 1120 Grant Avenue. And if you'd like to learn more about the event or any of the upcoming events or even on the same page in general, you can visit the website at onthesamepage.ca. 
Coming up after the break, we're going to hear from Kayla Dickin of Athena Leadership. She's going to tell us all about how they are developing future leaders here in Winnipeg. But first, here's Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass with A Lot of Living to Do, right here on RC360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you in the CJNU studios. Uh, earlier, RC360 spoke with Kayla Dickin from Athena Leadership. You might have read about Athena Leadership in one of the foundation features that ran a few weeks ago in Saturday's Winnipeg Free Press. Athena is a local nonprofit organization where women help other women through leadership initiatives, through networking, and through philanthropy. The group has been around for about four years and has 30 members from a variety of different sectors. Kayla explained to us how the organization organization got its start. There's nothing for young women who want to continue to network and build their um, expertise as well. There's not much out there in Winnipeg. So when we all sat down and kind of chatted about it, it just kind of grew from there. So it was one of those things to keep on networking, to build my expertise, to stay on top of my toes, to learn new things from other people, to gain further network, learn from mentors, meet new people too. So yeah, it's been great. And so another way to give back, right? Like someone helped me to get to where I am too today. And there's those uh, leaders today that need some of our help. So Kayla mentioned that Athena was a way to give back to, to Winnipeg. What are some of their philanthropic initiatives, Rob? 
Well, members of the group volunteer with various causes, they've helped build houses for Habitat for Humanity, they're just about to kick off their Dress for Success clothing drive, which starts tomorrow, and last year they also started the Athena Leader of Tomorrow Scholarship Fund at the Winnipeg Foundation. Kayla explained that providing an opportunity for a woman who has the potential but doesn't necessarily have the financial means really aligned with Athena's values. We want them to be dedicated to giving back to their community, whether that's in Winnipeg or or globally. Uh, We want them to be full of integrity, empowerment, Um, we want them to have leadership qualities, we want them to have a a clear, defined career path, that this is what they want to do when they grow up kind of thing, and that they're making a difference. That sounds like a great way to really help develop future leaders here in Winnipeg. Indeed it is. Um, Athena Leadership has given out three scholarships so far, and Kayla shared a truly incredible story about the most recent recipient of their scholarship. She lost her father to cancer and her grandfather to Alzheimer's, so it made her think, like, what can I do for others so that they don't lose their, their parents or their loved ones as early as I did? And she thought it was kind of absurd that in order to test for Alzheimer's, it was just a 30-point questionnaire, right? She didn't, it didn't seem like that was a, a quite invasive test. So she started to teach herself neuroscience. Keep in mind, she's 19 years old and learned that, you know, through a few flaws and things like that, she found a system that she came up with a device and a sensor that would uh, detect an overexpressed protein to see that that's how you're going to, de- if you would develop Alzheimer's or cancer or infectious diseases like Ebola. She's been funding the whole project herself, so through a GoFundMe page, because there's no funding right now for students that have want to do their own research projects. So that in itself was quite amazing that she had been, she doesn't have the, the means or the funds to, to develop this life-changing device. <laughs> so when we heard that story, it was just sort of like, wow, this is incredible. That's phenomenal. It's, it's great that organizations like Athena are investing in people who are really working to make a brighter future here in Winnipeg and I guess in Manitoba too. Absolutely. Um, one of the ways that they're working to build the scholarship is through an annual fundraiser and to date it's raised thousands of dollars for the Leader of Tomorrow Fund. We do an uh, annual event every year in June. It's at the Manitoba Hydro Building and it's usually a themed event so we, we transform the hydro gallery, uh, the main floor, into a theme this year was Hampton's theme, last year was a Midsummer Night's Dream kind of theme. So we've just sold tickets and we've had a ton of really great sponsors and uh, the event in itself has been close to sellouts. That's great. So where can people go to find more information? Well, if you're interested in learning more about Athena Leadership, you can visit Athena Leadership online at athenaleadership.ca. You can also find out more about the Dress for Success clothing drive, which starts tomorrow and goes until Saturday, March 19th. It's collecting gently used women's workwear for women who are re-entering the workforce. And again, you can find out more about that at athenaleadership.ca. You can also read the full story about Athena Leadership and their Leader of Tomorrow Scholarship Fund in the Winnipeg Foundation's 2015 Annual Report, which you can find online at wpgfdn.org. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to talk about this week in citizen journalism. But first, here's Rosemary Clooney with Be My Life's Companion, right here on River City 360. Be my life's companion and you'll never grow old. I love you so much that you'll never grow old. When there's joy in living, you just never grow old. You've got to stay young 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert continuing to be with you here this Sunday morning. And we're now joined in studio, as we are almost every week, by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. Noah, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So every week we like to ask you what's happening in Winnipeg through the lens of citizen journalism through the project Community News Commons. So Mm -hmm. what is happening on CNC this week? Well, there's a lot of stories this week, as there is every week on communitynewscommons.org. Some of my favorites this week is a story by Mary Podlaski. And this is her first story. So um, Mary's been um, sort of with the project for a little while. She came to some of the, we, we have some training courses that we do in the fall and in the spring. And um, she decided to write a story about an experience she just had where she was invited to Ottawa to speak before the government standing committee on finance. And um, basically... Why was she invited? Well, uh, they invited sort of normal, regular Canadians to uh, come and speak uh, to the committee. And in other words, basically to give their opinion on what the government should do when it comes to designing the next budget. And, um, you know, Mary... Uh, she came in, in the capacity of representing residents of Canada's second poorest riding, which is um, Winnipeg Centre. Uh, she's also a former ward of uh, Child and Family Services, and she's also um, a former client over at Villa Rosa, which is a, uh, a convalescence home for uh, uh, for uh, expecting mothers. Oh, wow. So a good uh, perspective on... on you know, giving giving Ottawa a little bit of how we live here or how certain ridings live in Winnipeg. Yeah, and the interesting thing about this story that that I think our listeners might um, uh, might kind of uh, be interested in is the um, is the fact that uh, there was a Winnipeg Free Press story that was written about Mary's. Uh, experiences? Uh, experience there. And um, it, it wasn't exactly accurate, at least according really? to Mary. And she does um, reference that in her story. Um, okay. Uh, you know, she, she, uh, she's saying that the free press story 
uh, suggested that her presentation wasn't heard, but she says she didn't feel that that was the case. Uh, she says the story bizarre. suggested that she was frustrated and angry, but she says she was not angry. Very bizarre. And, um, you know, that uh, I guess she spoke a very personal testimony, mm-hmm. is what she explains in the story on Community News Commons. And, of course, you know, when you speak a personal testimony, that probably makes it easier for a reporter to make her sound like a victim. And she says she is not a victim. Very so, interesting. So, um, so, so CNC know, gives... gives the straight from the horse's mouth. Exactly. We don't, we don't have any spin because it's you telling the story. Yeah, and, and, and if our, our listeners want to get involved in Community News Commons, all they have to do is go to the website, communitynewscommons.org, and uh, click on the register button or the Become a Citizen Reporter button, which is in the upper right-hand corner, and they can sign up. It takes about a minute, and uh, you can begin telling your multimedia stories and uh, rely upon my help as, a, as the editor uh, for free, as well uh, some um, we have some training courses that uh, in multimedia journalism that we have every spring and fall, and those will be coming up later in May. But you don't have to take those courses in order to you be can, a citizen Anyone can reporter. just sign up. Absolutely, so and si- so uh, I'm there and, to help you. Sign up and tell your story. Don't allow someone else's <laughs> words to uh, perhaps... Or at least set the record straight. Yeah, exactly, to, to shape the words of your own story. That's Indeed. great. Yeah. So what else is happening on CNC this week? Well, the other story I like is, is from Marie LeBlanc. Now, Marie LeBlanc, in contrast to Mary Podlaski, Marie LeBlanc has written many, yes. many stories. In fact, she's written... Um, dozens upon dozens of stories for Community News Commons over the course of the last three and a half, four years. And um, Marie is a um, is an artist, and she has a disability. Um, her disability is multiple chemical sensitivity, which is, in oh. other words, she's allergic to, or at least she reacts to a lot of different uh, chemicals in our environment oh, yeah. that, you know, sort of you or I may not react to. And um, uh, Marie, along with four other artists, were part of this program that uh, was being... Um, Uh, spearheaded by um, Martha Street Studios in partnership with Arts and Disability Network Manitoba and funded by the Winnipeg Foundation and Manitoba Arts Council. And this program called Making Our Mark uh, essentially brings together artists who have some sort of disability and they present, they, 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 they sort of open the doors to these artists to participate in this program in a way that they've never been able okay. to before. And so, you know, in a world full of barriers when it comes to people with disabilities, this is one where Martha Street Studio has broken down those barriers right. and is now, um, and th- what they've done is they've done this exhibition uh, called Canary in a Coal Mine that actually started mm-hmm. on Friday night and it uh, goes until April the 16th. So I'm sure oh, that cool. our listeners would really uh, find th- this a story by Marie LeBlanc, quite interesting. Very great. Good mm-hmm. to hear. Well, um, aside from what's happening in Winnipeg, we also like to bring our listeners uh, a little taste of some local music as well. So each week we ask you to uh, to bring us something maybe people that people haven't heard before but probably should from our local music scene. So what have you brought for us this week? Well, seeing that it's March, and uh, March kind of comes in like a lion, <laughs> um, I thought we would... Um, feature a song uh, by Federal Lights, and they've just released a second LP um, called Cour de Lion, and the uh, this is an indie pop rock uh, group that um, they're in the midst of a tour in the Maritimes, and they are making their way to Winnipeg for a hometown album release at the Goodwill on March the 10th, oh, so great. mark that on your calendars. And they are a very busy band. Um, they have a Western Canadian Music Award uh, behind them. Uh, they've logged a lot of hours uh, on the trail, 
know, uh, they've been at uh, North by Northeast and South by Southwest. And um, basically, they are a band that is um, doing a lot of great stuff. And so I thought this week I would feature a song by Federal Lights from their new album. And uh, this tune is called In the Ground. So from Federal Lights, this is In the Ground on River City 360, 93.7 FM, CJNU. I don't need the fireworks, just give it a little time. You don't need to burn it down, just give it a little time. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests that spoke with us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, please visit rivercity360.org. That's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. Please give us a call on our listener line. We'd love to hear from you. You can call 204-944-9474, extension 360. Leave us a comment about today's show, about a past show. You can request a song or even suggest a topic for a future show. That's 204-944-9474, extension 360. And you can also follow us on social media. On Facebook, you can find our page. We're River City 360 and uh, you can also find us on Twitter at RiverCity360. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360 And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week at 8.15 in the morning. Have a good Sunday. Uh-huh.